the machine is capable of doing uh, uh, two, in, two foot pothole approximately two minutes. Good morning. That is the designer of the Python 5000, Les Hallisto. This machine is a Canadian-made, self-propelled pothole patching machine. And we're going to learn about it today. By the way, a picture of it is up on all my social media feeds, on Twitter, at Hal Anderson. It's also on Instagram, at Hal Anderson 34 and on Facebook, Hal Anderson and Hal Anderson Productions. Both my accounts have a picture and a brief description, and a lot of you are weighing in there. By the way, Brett McGarry, uh, one of the members of the start here on CJOB, has put a poll question up about the Python 5000 on the uh, CJOB Twitter feed, so you can vote there, and uh, that's at 680CJOB on Twitter. We'll hear more from the designer in a little bit, but I want to play for you now an interview I did recently with the CFO of the company responsible for the Python 5000, Python Superior Roads, which is based in Regina. This is my conversation with Ben Kang. Hello. Hi, thanks a lot for doing this. I love the name, Python 5000. Tell me about your pothole machine. Okay, so it is a Canadian-made, which is very important, and a self-propelled portal patching machine that repairs asphalt pavement defects like portals, cracks, trenches, and then other surface irregularities. It requires only one operator that can carry out the entire portal patching operations, such as cleaning the sites, spread tech oils, convey the materials, and last but not least, compactions, which is the key for long-lasting repair. And all can be done without leaving the comfort in you know, operating caps, so which really gives us, you know, you know, safe, you know, environment. So one person sits in the cab mm-hmm. of the Python 5000. And one person in the comfort of that cab does everything involved in repairing a pothole, for example, which is of interest to us here in Winnipeg because we've got a lot of potholes right now. Yeah, I know. I have heard your radio, and then recently, you know, you mentioned about the you know, potholes, you know, every t- every time. <laughs> yes, um, this machine is worth about half a million dollars American, right? That's correct. So it's not cheap, but your point is. It saves a lot of time and effort because the job is much easier. Yes, but 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 you know what? You know, bring beloved father, mother, son, and daughters back to their family safely is priceless. Our machine offers the safe, safest, and fastest, highly likely the best way to fix the portals. It keeps the road workers safe and then protects the vehicles and the drivers from damage caused by poorly maintained roads. So that is priceless. Sure, absolutely, yeah. And not to mention uh, getting potholes repaired faster, and so the cost to vehicles, right? Damage uh, is is costly when when vehicles hit potholes. What other cities are using the Python 5000? I know Sudbury, Montreal. uh, How many cities uh, are used? I know private contractors are using them as well, but how many cities are using them? Because I kind of feel like we should look at this for the city of Winnipeg. Yes. True, yeah. So we currently have uh, uh, many cities in Canada using this, you know, our machine. So such as Sudbury, Thunder Bay, uh, Montreal, Ottawa, 
And then now we are, you know, discussing, you know, potential sales to the city of uh, Toronto. So uh, we are, you know, expanding our markets in North America, and then hopefully we can, you know, deliver the one machine to the Unipex sooner than later. And are they liking it? These cities that have been using it, are they happy with the purchase? Yeah. So, you know, I, I have sent you the one you know, news link that talks about the Sudbury, you know, using, kept, kept using our machine in the, in the even winter. Right. So, and then, you know, the city of Montreal use four of our machines and then the, their subcontractor owns the trainings of our, our machines and then they kept BG for 24 seven. So, I'm sure that 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 will give the economic benefit for the, those you know yeah. cities and and, and subcontractors. Mm-hmm. A city like Winnipeg of you know 800,000 people, how many of these machines would a city like ours need? How many Python 5000s would do the job? I suppose the more the better, but there's a cost involved, so you'd have to weigh that in. Yeah, so I would just say that you know probably about you know two three machines uh, would cover up you know entire the city. And then that would, you know, give the sufficient, you know, uh, sufficient, uh, uh, work that requires to, you know, to keep the, you know, the water safe. Sure. And, and I've got to mention this, and I, uh, I buried the lead here. I should have mentioned this much earlier in our conversation. This machine, your Python 5000, can repair a pothole, a small to medium sized pothole, start to finish in about two minutes. Yes, so there's a tremendous, uh, there's a thousand you know videos that on the YouTube in our channel that which shows that you know our subcontractor in Montreal you know repaired the, they're one of the best you know operators that they have and then they they fix you know within two minutes to fix the portal. Yeah, you can see this on YouTube as well, Python five thousand as you mentioned, and I put the picture of it up on my social media feeds, and I'll remind people where those are and and how they can find me on Twitter and and Facebook and Instagram. Ben, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate it. I hope somebody over on Main Street is listening. I think we should at least look at a machine like this for the city of Winnipeg. I think it's great. Okay, thank you very much for having me here in the head of Henderson. Ben Kang, CFO of Python Superior Roads. It's a company based in Regina, and they build and sell the Python 5000. Canadian-made, self-propelled pothole patching machine. And as you heard Ben say, Winnipeg could use two or maybe three of them, so a million, million and a half dollar investment. But again, uh, potholes can be repaired start to finish. One person sits in a cab of this thing, and uh, a two-foot pothole, for example, uh, takes two minutes to repair. Now, Ben told me off-air that they have had talks with the city of Winnipeg in the past, but nothing recently, and nothing came from those discussions. And again, I'll just tell you that we've got a, a Twitter poll up on the CJOB um, account at 680 CJOB on Twitter if you want to vote on this, and you've got a few options. Should Winnipeg invest in one, two, or, or three of these? You can also see it. The videos are up on YouTube if you want to search uh, the Python 5000, uh, but you can see a picture of it on my social media feeds and lots of great comments there, and I'll get to some of the comments that I'm getting on social media, but on Twitter, it's at Hal Anderson. It's at Hal Anderson 34 on Instagram and Hal Anderson and Hal Anderson Productions on Facebook.
joining us right now to talk about the big game tonight, the big story today, Jets in Vegas. Can they stay alive? Jim Toth is co-host of Jets at Noon. And then, of course, he's got his own show between 1 and 3 weekday afternoons here on CGOB. Jim Toth, good morning, sir. Good morning, Hal, and happy belated birthday to you. You don't Thank look you, a man. day over uh, yesterday. 80. 80. No, yeah. no. 50. Yeah. 50. You don't look a day over 50. Oh, wow. Gee. And so I'll say kind. it. I'll say it. You don't look a day over 50, and then that makes us younger right there. <laughs> yeah. Or it just makes us sound really old because <laughs> yeah. we're trying to sound. Either young, way, it right? depends who's listening. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, can the Jets do it tonight, Jim? Yeah, they can do it. For sure they can. Um, it's not going to be easy and and with this depleted lineup, but this is also a, a group that when missing seven regulars out of their lineup uh, won some games and won, won a game back-to-back on the road. So they can definitely win it tonight, but they, more so than ever, Hal, need their big guns to show up. Um, if Nick Ehlers plays, and I kind of got a hunch that he does, but if he comes in, they're going to need him. But that's a big ask, right? Like, I was stunned how Mark Stone missed uh, months after his second back surgery and then just uh, came back in the lineup in game one, played the most minutes for any Golden Knight forward. And then it's just been spectacular. Like, he hasn't been off at all from back surgery. I'm not sure. That's a tall ask, and I think Mark Stone made it look easier than than it is. Um, but Nick Ehlers, if he plays or not, could help. But they need their big guns tonight. They need Connor Hellebuck to have a really good game. And I don't think he's played poorly. The three goals he gave up in game four were, you know, off a skate, a tip in and uh, an enormous, not an enormous, but a really quick rebound that no goaltender can react to. But the term stealing a game for a goalie comes from saving one of those. And and those are, are, are stealing a game is when you're making saves that goaltenders shouldn't be able to make. And, and he does. So he's going to have to have a big game like that. Um, and then Pierre-Luc Dubois has to be a dominant force and put up some points. And Kyle Connor has to produce tonight. Kyle Connor can't just be dangerous and, and get some shots and, and have some opportunities. He's got to bury them. But if their big guns show up and Adam Lowry continues to play the way he has, and really the unsung heroes of this series so far, in my mind, is the sixth defenseman for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and we could say seven now that Morrissey's out. They've played extremely well throughout this series and uh, I think but more so as a unit, better than people thought. So they need some things to go right for them, but they can definitely win tonight. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe even you were saying this, or it was on your show, uh, Jets at Noon, or, or the Jim Toe Show, one or the other. It might have been you, or maybe it was somebody else. I'm not sure. But I think uh, the chances of, if you look at history, the chances of a team coming back and winning a series after being down 3-1, something like 10%, right? So, I mean, this is... A long shot, but you, you approach it, I guess, one game at a time, right? Well, and for those things to happen, you're right. And and I thought Blake Wheeler said it best after the game four loss when he said, we can't win three games in one day, but we can win one. And then you come back to the whiteout and your home ice advantage and, and hopefully win one more. And then, you know, you, <laughs> uh, pardon the pun, roll the dice on game seven in Vegas where we all know game sevens, anything can happen. Uh, the other thing that really could make this happen, Hal, is the fact that, like, I know the Vegas is the number one seed and finished first in the West, and I know the Winnipeg Jets are the eighth seed and finished eighth in, but I don't think this is a one versus eight battle right now. I I don't think that the Vegas Golden Knights are playing the best hockey in the Western Conference and are by far the first-place team in the West, and I don't think the Jets are the eighth seed. I've seen the playoffs so far, and I I think they're, you know, probably fifth or sixth in the West when it comes down to teams playing the best. So 
Um, that's that factors into it too, but it all starts with one game and it all starts with a good start. Like, I don't think you can go down two nothing in Vegas and, and pull this out, but if you can finish the period tied or up one and you can continue to build on some momentum, you can get this done, but they're going to have to play like they played earlier in the year when they had six and seven regulars out of the lineup. They're going to have to be very strong defensively. They're not going to be able to take as many chances as, as we've seen in this series with this depleted lineup, and they're going to have to bury the chances when they get them. But if they play strong, disciplined 200-foot hockey, they can win this game. And the other part of this, Hal, is how I kind of read into this series and what I've been talking about at Jets at Noon. This core group, and now there's a couple big ones missing out of it, Morrissey and Shifley and potentially Ehlers, but they've been around for six or seven years. And back to 2018, when when they you know lost to Vegas in the Western Final, there's seven of those guys remaining on this lineup, and two of them, potentially three, aren't going to be playing tonight. But this is a core that's seen some things experience-wise. They went to Western Conference Final. They were knocked out in the first round by St. Louis. They went to the bubble and suffered injuries to Shifley and Line a in the first half of the first game and lost that. They then came back and they, you know, they swept an Oilers team and then got swept by Montreal. You, you've got to kind of put all that together with this core and use it all as experience to define the game plan tonight. And, and you know, we've talked a lot about this in hockey that, you know, you got to lose before you can win and you got to you got to go through some things and see what it takes to get there. This team has done that. They've been through all of it. It's time to put it all together. And and as I said, you know, on Tuesday's show on Jets at Noon, if you want to change the narrative around this core and have one last kick at it and all that, you win this series. You come back from down 3-1. You pick yourself off off the mat. You use all the experience of all the playoff heartbreak and losses and early upsets and, and sweeps of Edmonton. You put it all together and you win a game. And then you come back and you try to win another one. But this isn't a core that I don't look at. Well, they don't have experience this way. And they don't, you know, the only real correct assessment of this core is they haven't gotten over the hump, but they've experienced everything else. And this is, there's no bigger hump than this. And it's a prime time to, as we've heard from coach bonus and Blake Wheeler and some of the other players, let's see what we got. This is gut check time. And and that's what makes tonight fascinating to me is a, because they do have a shot to win it. They might not, but they do have a shot. And then what they can do with what I just talked about. Yeah. And maybe I'm out of line with my final question here for you, Jim. The fan in me, you know, wants to cheer for the team and say they can do this and, and, you know, claw their way back into this series and then move on to the next one. But then there's a part of me that says, okay, the chances, you know, 10% or whatever the number, exact number is based on past history in, in Stanley Cup playoff action, not likely. And so then what happens? You know, if we wake up tomorrow and they lost and they're out of the playoffs, now what happens with this team? Am I out of line asking that question? Is it too early? Not at all, Hal. And and that's kind of the emphasis of why I brought up past experiences over the past four or five years in the playoffs is what do you do with this team? And, and contract-wise, they have to do some things. But also, if you've been around five, six years and haven't gotten over the hump, it's time to change the people pushing the rock up the hill, right? Yeah. Uh, Maurice talked about that when he walked away. We pushed the rock up a, a, a long way, and I just realized that I can't get him to push it anymore, and somebody else has to come in and do it. Fair enough. Somebody else has come in and, and gotten it up a little further. It's time now to see you know, if, if other people might be able to do it. So I'm with you. Like, uh, I don't think it's – that adds into this tonight, Hal. Like, that mm-hmm. adds into the fact of how do Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler – well, Mark Shifley's not playing, of course, but Connor Hallibuck, the rest of the crew, where does this leave them, right? And, and their legacy. And, and if they lose tonight – 
and changes come, I think it changes the legacy and the narrative of a lot of these players compared to if they can get another win and come home and, and potentially get another win. How this core is remembered, it really comes down to tonight and the rest of this series. I, I believe that. Yeah, boy, lots on the line. Okay, Jim, you're about 45 minutes away from Jets at noon. Have a great day, and thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Anytime, my man. Thanks for having me. All right, Jimmy Toth, uh, Jets at noon, him and Cam Poitras, and then, of course, Jim's show, the Jim Toth Show, from 1 to 3. I just wanted to mention quickly, obviously no whiteout street party here in Winnipeg tonight, right, because the game is in Vegas, but in Toronto... Leafs fans will be tailgating in that city. The Maple Leafs have a commanding 3-1 series lead over the Tampa Bay Lightning after back-to-back come-from-behind wins in Florida and will look to close out the series tonight on home ice. Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment says it will continue hosting its outdoor viewing parties for fans at downtown Maple Leaf Square outside Scotiabank Arena for tonight's game. The club is also advising fans to register for a free mobile pass in the Maple Leafs mobile app to be admitted to the tailgate party at the square. Gates to the event open two hours before puck drop at 7 p.m. and close by the end of the second intermission. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. We'll revisit uh, where we started today. The Python 5000, this uh, pothole patching machine that uh, the city of Winnipeg now says it will take a closer look at as we deal with a lot of potholes, which kind of is depressing. You know, it's the, it's the time of year where you're looking for reasons to be excited about no snow and the cold's gone and new season, you know, as delayed as this spring has been. And the pothole situation, the fact that the city has so far filled only, and I say only because there are a lot more, uh, 45,000 potholes. That's how many they've filled so far, as you just heard in in Sarah's news. And the spring cleanup, by the way, Michael Cantor uh, was on earlier. He is the manager of streets maintenance with the city of Winnipeg. He says the cleanup's underway. Spring cleanup only about a week into it, so another four or five weeks of spring cleanup and then hopefully we get to a beautiful winnipeg and manitoba summer carolyn classen joins us now as she does every thursday after the news at eleven thirty from kenex's counseling carolyn good morning good morning hal i love hearing you talk about filling in potholes because it means that spring is really here yeah right yeah i guess listen you know you can look at a glass and sometimes it's half full and sometimes it's it's half empty i guess it just depends on on where you're at. I wanted to start with what I thought was kind of an interesting story. Uh, They did a study at the University of Tokyo, and they looked at emojis. Now, I'm not a big emoji guy. I'll I'll throw a wink at the end of the emoji if I'm trying to be funny or, you know, maybe a a big smile if I'm expressing happiness in, in some form or another in my message. But this University of Tokyo study found that people who send happy emojis often do it to hide negative emotions and make their messages appear more positive. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I think, um, as you suggested with adding a wink onto the end of something, that emojis are designed to kind of give tone to words because when we talk to each other, you can hear the tone, how 
cheerful or, you know, upset or whatever, as I'm talking to a person, they can hear the tone of what I'm saying. And it's hard to get the sense of tone in words. And so emojis are really helpful with that, but only if they're accurate. And so if you put a winky face um, behind something that sounds sort of biting, then you know it's meant to be sort of cute and maybe sarcastic or teasing rather Mm -hmm. than something that's bitter and harsh. But what happens when we use an emoji that isn't actually giving the other person our true tone, but is giving them what we might call a socially pleasant tone or an easy tone where you're being nice and you're softening what you're saying with that, you know, somebody sends you something that's inappropriate and you use something you don't like, but you could put a smiley face. They don't know how you really feel. And um, what that study said is that often people use that when you're talking to somebody or texting somebody in a position of power or in a group where you don't want to get too vulnerable and be too candid with them because they may be in a place where there's other people that are there ready to judge or if it's a manager, they're going to judge. And so there is a place for, you know, like we're not always, we don't always give our managers real life tone um, that accurately portrays how we are because they're in a position of power. And so we can't tell them when we think we're out of line or we don't agree with something. Um, But we have to recognize that, if we're communicating with people who really matter to us and you're making it look nicer than what you really are, that you're sort of cheering it up with your with emojis, that you're giving your that other person mixed messages and they're not going to really hear you. And you have to understand then that your message wasn't very effective in communicating what you want to communicate. Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, it's just another example of a bigger problem. Nothing online is real. We talk about <laughs> AI, right? Of the bogus yeah. voices and, and faces. We're hiding real emotions using emojis, according to this study out of the University of Tokyo. Yesterday, we were talking about digitally altered images and, and body image and how that's impacting especially young people, filters on social media. Nothing is real, Carolyn. Well, and that is really the challenge with texting, um, that, you know, I think texting is great, you know, with really good friends and partners in terms of, you know, I'll meet you here or I'm on my way. But if you're really wanting to have real conversations, uh, it's best to get offline and in real life. Um, even if you can't be face-to-face in the same room that you do video or phone where you're communicating, people can get a sense of your tone through your voice and your facial expression because connection is the whole deal and words are only part of it. And when you go online, um, there are so many ways to hide, um, which makes it easy but doesn't make it real. And um, easy at the expense of real is going to impoverish all of us in a way that's going to have real-life consequences to our health and our ability to move about in this world in good ways. I remember the first time somebody sent me a text, and I looked at my phone and I thought, what the heck is this? I didn't understand it. And then when I realized what was going on, I thought, well, this is never going to last. This is crazy. Um, and yet here we are now, and, and I, like everybody else, most people, are, are texting like crazy. There is a new trend now, voice-to-text. And uh, I've got a plan to talk about this on a, on a future show soon. I'm, I'm trying to line up a couple of guests on this. But that's one thing more people are doing now. And I kind of like, you know, everything goes around and comes back again, right? The pendulum swings and it goes, maybe goes too far and then it comes back. Voice to text, I kind of like this trend if it's going to stick because at least you hear the person's voice and you can hear the emotion or the anger, or you get a sense. I find it easier, even in a recorded message, to understand where somebody's coming from, what their emotion is, 
than just reading the words in a in a text or or a message on social media. Yeah, when you're tapping with your fingers, you tend to be somewhat telegraphic, right? How can I be as efficient as possible to get this text done? And when you're doing voice to text, you have a little bit more license to add more words because you're not tapping each, uh, you know, consonant in. And so I think um, you do get a sense, a bit more of a sense of the other person's voice, which I think can be really helpful. And I think we have to find ways of making that connection not only effective in terms of content, but also effective in terms of tone and and connection and process so that people can really get the essence of what you're trying to say and the spirit that you're trying to say it, not just the business of it. Mm-hmm. I turned 59 yesterday, and, and uh, as I get older, I find that y- you sometime, and I guess because I was 59 yesterday was my birthday, I got thinking, and, and for whatever reason, forgiveness popped into my mind, and I look back at my 59 years, and maybe some people that I did forgive that didn't deserve it, and people maybe that I should forgive, and people who should forgive me, and y- y- I, anyhow, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole in my head with this yesterday, and I got thinking about forgiveness. You know, it's great to say well I'll forgive somebody and and move on and I think as we get older it's I think it's easier to forgive maybe it's not for everybody but I also wonder about forgiveness it, it, it's a two-way street some things have to happen before you can even consider forgiveness and I I just wanted to get your thoughts on forgiveness and have a conversation about it because it's it's popped into my mind well first of all uh, happy belated happy birthday in Thank you. our house in our house, the day after your birthday, we call that birthday Boxing Day. Mm. Um, and that's a day where you can eat cake for breakfast, the one day of the year where it is appropriate for everybody in the house on a birthday Boxing Day to eat cake for breakfast. But that's I've got day. even better. Carolyn, I'm going to interrupt. I, you know what? I we uh, we or, Joe from Pasquale's brought it for my birthday, brought dinner. We had dinner uh-huh. at home last night, and we ate so much that we couldn't do dessert. And so I have death by chocolate in the fridge <laughs> I'm having that for birthday Boxing Day today for lunch. Brilliant. Okay, you so get birthday Boxing Day. I'm so glad about that. It Love just it. seems like when somebody has a birthday, we should spend days celebrating who they are. So I'm glad you're doing that. Well, in my rock radio days, we used to have a whole week. It was called Hallapalooza, and it was built around <laughs> my birthday and all my bar gigs. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was true. That's true. Everybody should have a palooza. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I interrupted your thought on forgiveness. So forgiveness, yes. uh, I think forgiveness is a really important concept because if we go with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, um, this world will be eyeless and toothless, right? That there has to be a way of saying when somebody harms you and wrongs you, you're going to cancel the debt and let it go. Um, not only because sometimes when people ever hurt your feelings, there's really no way they can right the wrong because your feelings are so important and that hurt, there is no way to make it right. Um, You can apologize, but that hurt, the damage has still been done. And so there has to be a way of saying, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to cancel that debt. Um, Forgiveness is something that is that makes relationships better. But what I would say is that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different processes. And I think sometimes it makes sense to forgive somebody, but to say, the, the, the trust has been broken so much, I'm not sure that it makes sense for us to reconcile but I'm going to forgive you so that I don't move about in this world in a way that I carry the bitterness of it. And I think you're right when, you know, when you're in your fifties or late fifties, you get a bit more perspective and you say, I don't want to hold on to that stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, life is too short. And if I can make relationships right, 
Um, the relationship is more important to me than the wrong that you've done. And let's find a way to make a fresh start, to um, acknowledge that you've hurt me, to make that hurt important, but to also say our relationship is more is bigger than this hurt and we're going to find our way past this. And so I think forgiveness is a great thing to be thinking of, uh, you know, as you're evaluating the last year and looking ahead to how you want to live with intention. Mm-hmm. And before I let you go, can people still get in on your workshops or is it too late? Registrations are closed for that. Um, if you're okay. interested, contact me and I'll let you know the next date. All right, and I'll give your uh, I'll give your websites uh, as we say goodbye here. Carolyn Classen from Connexus Counseling. Thanks a lot. Take care. Appreciate your time as always. Um, CarolynClassen.com is her website. You can sign up there for her uh, uh, for her uh, newsletter as well. And then uh, Connexus Counseling's website is ConnexusCounseling.ca. ConnexusCounseling.ca or CarolynClassen.com.